Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk about devils. Devils. <laughs> ah. So it could be said that this will be our fiends part two to after talking about demons the other day. So there is a whole lot to go over here. Uh, so we're going to kind of focus in a somewhat odd direction for the most part. But before I actually get into that, there is something important to talk about for fiends in general that I purposefully did not at all cover in demons. But in retrospect, ought to have mentioned at some point. And that is the fact that the official lore of 5th edition D&D, well, and even going further back, honestly, is that as powerful and ruthless as demons and devils are, that part of the a big part of the reason of why they aren't already in charge of everything is the fact that there has been an eternal war between the two. Demons versus devils is a huge part of the lore of the two. And to be honest about it, it's also a fact that many, many dungeon masters, myself included in this, just don't care about. I think that that is a kind of dumb distinction and distraction to have as part of the lore. It's a decent enough reason as to why they don't overrun and why they're not in charge of everything. And it makes sense for there to be some reason. But that is an important part of the lore. There's a lot of information about all of that in the monster manual in the Descent into Avernus book. So if that is something that you're more interested interested in then information's available and it is some it has a lot of cool story beats to it but to be blunt i don't care and i'm just not going to be talking more about that so moving on from that fact devils are rather distinct from demons in the fact that while demons are chaotic evil by nature devils are lawful evil and that has a lot of implications in terms of how they are to be used assuming of course that you do choose to stick to using their alignments in this fashion as always dms have as much power as they want to change how they can go about using things and later on we're definitely going to be talking about various ways DMs can use and change how to use devils in their games. So with that being said, so uh, devils themselves are lawful evil creatures, and that is very important to how they are, quote unquote, supposed to be used. And there's two main aspects of that fact of their existence. So number one is the fact that as lawful evil creatures, they are obedient to the rules that they agree to. And that has a lot of fun things that give DMs something to play with. So if you chose to have a, you know, hell focused campaign, then it is absolutely possible for there to be a lot of the, you know, letter of the law type agreements that devils make with PCs or with NPCs or whatever, because devil deals are a huge fact 
of how I think they can best be used. And we're definitely going to be going into a lot more detail later on on such deals. All right. Anyway, so I've been rambling on a bit about the lawful evil fact. And the instead of trying to describe it as the two things, I'm just going to kind of ramble a little more loosey-goosey instead of trying to tie myself down like that. So let me rephrase and just say that because of the fact that they are generally lawful evil, that their obedience is a big part of devil culture. So there are a lot of actually very nice charts in the Monster Manual as well as in the Avernus book that talks about the tears of devils and how it is a big part of devil kind for them to progress and grow and get promoted or potentially demoted two stronger or weaker types of devils. So they are very much the scheming type of creature, but because of their lawful nature, that their scheming does bind them usually to the letter of the agreements that they make. And the agreements themselves, this is the part that I honestly most want to focus on, because in my admittedly biased opinion, it is the most useful thing on how a DM can use devils and just have it be more interesting than just a generic bad guy for the party to just fight and try to slaughter. Because the agreements that a demon, or sorry, that a devil can make is all based on the creativity of what the dungeon master and players agree to. And as is well known at this point, creatively using rules in Dungeons and Dragons is honestly one of my favorite parts of it. So in this section, I highly, highly suggest that anyone who is interested in such things get the Avernus book because it has an entire appendix that's a solid few pages long all about how devil deals can work. And it is incredibly interesting to me. And again, this is also one of those areas where there are a lot of rules actually listed in how such deals can be made. But even though the rules are spelled out as a reiteration, just because it does have rules doesn't mean that DMs don't have the ability to tweak things to whatever style they want devils in their own world to have. So we also mentioned a bit in the Demons episode about how there's true names being a thing in D&D that gives some... Uh, you know, knowledge or power or something or other on the things that get summoned. And honestly, I would argue that this is even more important in Devils because there is a specifically listed fact in the Avernus book that a creature that knows a Devil's true name can summon such a creature in order to make such a deal. So there are in book specific rules of how to summon a devil in order to make a deal. And then there are also rules about how that deal can be written, how to make ability checks to see if the demon, or sorry, I keep doing that, if the devil is able to slip something into the, such a deal. And it even lists, based on how powerful the devil is, what kind of things they have to offer. And all of those things together give dungeon masters flat out a demon. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to say this. I mentioned earlier that I don't care about the demon devil divide. So I'm just going to stop correcting myself. If I slip up, you know what I'm talking about. It's in the title. We we're, we're talking about devils. But in reality, like at least in my view, fiends are fiends. 
and the distinction doesn't matter as much. It's just, are you talking about the more lawful or chaotic type of fiend? So that's my admittedly biased view. So I'm just going to flat out move on and just not worry about it. But anyway, so in terms of what devils have to offer, this is what I find to be particularly interesting because there are always the you know obvious questions of why the fuck would you make a deal with a devil? That's stupid because everyone knows, at least in our world, that if you make a deal with a devil, the thing that you're putting up is almost always going to be your soul and that if you die, you are automatically sent to hell. And well, that actually also, yes? Well, Remy, here's the thing, right? Sometimes people are in situations where the only option would be that. But what I'm thinking is that some people think that they're smart enough to trick the devil and get everything without the cost. Absolutely. And part of what I love so much about this section of the Avernus book is that because it does spell out exactly how much a character could potentially gain from a devil, it makes it a little more logical to me myself to say, oh, okay, I can see why something like this would be of interest to a person. Because given the fact that the rules are spelled out of you could summon a devil in one of these multiple ways, A, B, C, you know, whatever, and that there are ways in game, like in the rules that player characters have access to, to potentially summon a devil, which gives them so much latitude in terms of, oh, I can totally see why a PC even could be tempted by such a thing, as well as why a NPC could be, you know, desiring to make such a bargain themselves. And it is so interesting to me that explicitly spelled out rules, besides just giving rules, which is always something that I enjoy, because you have an idea of it, it also just means that you have a template. So DMs could use that template and tweak things to be more specific to how they want their world to work. So part so of Remy, all of this, yes. If you were given the choice, would you take such a deal? Uh, depending on what I get, yes, absolutely, 100%. Because part of what makes all of this so interesting and powerful is the fact that this same section also spells out that the deals that are made are far more than just you know, my word for yours. It is a magically enforced contract. So it is binding and it even spells out. Uh, I'm actually just going to read this because the phrasing of it is Mwah. infernal deals are enforced by the weight of the multiverse itself, by the very essence of the forces of law and evil. Devils channel this essence through the infernal hierarchy that governs their existence. Devils higher up in the hierarchy can leverage more potent deals and offer more enticing gifts. So the idea of a magical contract that has very specific benefits and penalties is amazing to me. And going on a tangent away from devils for a moment, the idea of a magical contract that is magically enforced 
just existing in D&D is something that I love. I mean, to be honest, in my own homebrew world, I actually invented my own rules for magical contracts years and years ago. So the fact that there is an official version now makes me very happy because just the fact that in this book, it does mention that devils are able to channel law and evil to make these contracts. There is no reason then that an argument couldn't be made that, okay, then that does that mean that gods could you channel the force of good or that powerful enough clerics could channel law and good potentially to create good versions of magical contracts? Could, you know, something like uh, Mechanus create just true neutral contracts? So the idea of magical contracts being an official thing in the world is amazing because in a world of so much powerful magic and mind control and all these other kinds of things, it makes sense to me that having magical contracts would almost be a necessity for a lot of higher level politics, a lot of higher level just merchantilism. It makes sense for magical contracts to almost be a necessity in world because part of the phrasing even in these official magical contracts that are mentioned here is that they can only be entered without magical coercion. So then that still leaves the more normal types of, you know, blackmail or alcohol to give some interesting angles to things. But the idea of that you can't enter a contract under magical coercion would make a lot of sense as a necessity in the world. So that just fills a lot of world building questions to me of well, wait a minute. So if there is this, you know, powerful warlock in the woods or a lich or whatever, then how do you deal with such a creature or what could you even do? And this grants an option that, okay, a king might create a magical contract to deal with a lich of just saying, all right, tell you what, I will give you a lump sum of, I don't know, 500,000 gold if you agree to never invade my kingdom. And it would be a logical way of how those without massive magical power in their own right have something in their toolbox to allow them to deal on a somewhat equal footing with the more powerful beings that exist in D&D. So opening this up to more than just devils is something that I highly, highly recommend. But as I said, that was absolutely a tangent, but this is a subject that I am fascinated by. But back to devils themselves. So the classic deal with a devil is whatever the devil gives you, you are giving up your soul when you die. And part of that is also kind of neat because that would mean then that because your soul becomes controlled by the devil when you die, that is a way to limit potential resurrection in the world because all of the forces of good and evil are always trying to gain control of souls when they die. So if you have devils be a common thing that exists in your world, then that could be a reason for the forces of good to not allow resurrections as easily because an argument could be made that the forces of good need the souls of deceased good people to fight the souls under control of devils and such. 
So having something like that could be a reason in world for a DM to make the out of game rule that maybe someone can only get resurrected once and then after they die a second time, that's that. Because the forces of good are hard up for fighters, you know, for warriors, and that that is just the agreement that kind of exists between the gods and death. And there are so many angles that a DM can choose to take on the large scale, the medium scale, the small scale with the existence of these devil infernal contracts and uh i i mentioned a moment ago that there is also spelled out versions of what more or less powerful demons are able or devils are able to give and that also i mentioned is because it makes more sense then of why someone might want to make such a deal because it could be argued that the things that you get might be worth a potential cost. And even though it does say that usually someone would give up their soul, that does not mean that that necessarily has to be the case. It also does have other options, such as services that someone can do on their part as their end of the agreement with the devil. So my favorite one that's listed here is basically a pyramid scheme of souls, where if you die, your soul gets controlled by the devil. But if you arrange for two other people to make a deal with your devil contract holder, then your soul is off the hook. So the idea of, oh, by corrupting more people, you can protect yourself, creates an amazing opportunity for characters. And this could be used for PCs or NPCs in the world. The idea that your soul is on the hook, but that you have this escape clause that is pretty inarguably evil. So you could even potentially have a good character in a desperate situation make a deal with the devil. And then perhaps they try to you know, assuage their guilt with the contract by trying to find people who are already damned, in their opinion, to make these additional two deals. So the idea of a good character trying to convince evil people to make devil deals could be a very interesting roleplay option for a DM to arrange for their players. That positively sounds like a great campaign idea, where you have this party of like, oh no, we sold our souls to the devil in order to save the world but now we are the ones that need saving okay we shall clean up the mess uh the 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 evil people that have been left behind and we shall get on their good sides convince them to to make deals with the devils to um have the evil side win and then after we will deal with the aftermath Exactly. So even a very good party, this can give a fantastic opportunity to have that kind of temptation to evil. And temptation to evil is a big part of devils. So the idea of deals or no deals, this is something just that devils enjoy anyway, is the temptation of someone to evil. So even if, let's say that you just have a wizard who can summon devils and just uses them in combat that because honestly that's something that happens relatively often with dms not really thinking about it because like there are spells to summon devils you know relatively easily 
and that a lot of magic users just do so just for combat, a lot of player characters don't think about the implications of, oh, right, these are actually powerful devils that they're summoning and that potentially deals can be made with those same creatures. And usually when a DM is playing with a PC who has a devil, they just treat them as a minion in combat and then that's that. It is surprisingly rare for a DM to use the opportunity for the devil to actually be an NPC in the combat and to actually treat it as, you know, the devil is trying to tempt someone to do evil deeds. Like maybe combat ends and someone, you know, the enemy is knocked out and the devil tries to convince the PC before it gets banished back to hell to just kill the unconscious person or just simple small acts to try to get people to go on that sliding just descent into hell and to be those corruptors that devils are so infamously known as. Because these are creatures that powerful magic users use relatively often because they are available as powerful summons. And DMs honestly should use that fact more because they're there and they would, so they should. But anyway, uh, I keep getting distracted, but I keep meaning to talk about the kinds of things that you can get from a deal. So devils are divided into different tiers. And it's pretty cool because there actually are charts showing the different types of devils in each tier so that you can actually use these charts and then the monster manual, or even easier if you just have D&D Beyond, to just know, okay, if I have this type of devil in front of me, then I could potentially get blank. And so devils are divided into least, lesser, greater, and arch devils. And anything from lesser and up can make a deal. And part of what makes this... So very, very underutilized in my opinion. So the lower, so the, sorry, the lowest, weakest demon devil on the lesser tier is an imp. Imp, the lowly imp, the thing that half of all warlocks at least have as their familiar is a devil and is at least strong enough, if barely, to make a deal. So anytime that you have a warlock in your game or your party that has a you know, warlock with an imp familiar, then that imp is a sentient and evil creature generally that ought to be more than just, you know, a non-speaking minion. An imp is fully sentient and as we find out in this, powerful enough to make the le the weakest category of deal. So now actually, let me tangent a bit into what devils can actually give you. So only the higher, anything higher than least can make a deal. So lesser, greater, and arch devils. So now let me actually read off what you could potentially get from a lesser devil. So even an imp could make a deal such as this. Up to 500 GP worth of art objects, coins, or gems. An uncommon magic item. Loyal service for a period not exceeding nine years. So even an imp could potentially make such a deal, but while that may or may not be useful to PCs, considering the fact that most of the time at least, PCs will make a decent amount of gold on their own right, that 500 gold may or may not actually be of interest to them. 
However, very, very frequently, warlocks don't keep their imps tucked away. So there is no reason, unless the warlock does micromanage their imp's actions, that the imp can't just go around trying to tempt people when the warlock isn't using it or has it dimensionally banished. Because most of the time, player characters don't think about such things. And if a DM were to just drop the line to a player of, you know, oh, do you let your imp just wander around the city on its own? It could scout for you or potentially just get the lay of the land while invisible. Oh, you sneaky, sneaky, Remy. (laughs) (laughs) And if you just keep it open-ended in terms of how you bait the hook, it would be so very easy to get a PC warlock to just like, oh, yeah, that'd be real helpful. And so they just send their imp off with very likely vague orders like, yeah, you know, scout the area. And, you know, it's even possible that, you know, players who aren't thinking about it will just like, yeah, go, you know, have fun. If they decide to treat their imp nicely, that's honestly the wrong thing to do because imps are devils and most people just don't appreciate that fact. So then you have this imp just off their leash and just going around and because of the fact that also imps are invisible as much as they want to be, they could very easily just stay invisible to not reveal what they are and then just go up to people who are in a bad situation like, oh, if someone is sick and can't afford the gold for a cleric well, tell you what, well, you know sign this bargain and you will have the gold that you need for your child to be healed like it's it's so easy to tempt npcs who don't have adventure levels of gold to make all kinds of deals and that actually could be a good explanation of why imps let themselves be summoned so easily as familiars because it gives them access to all of the people on the material plane and it'd be so easy for imps to do these kinds of temptations and that's just imps that's not even getting into any of the actual stronger things that creatures could do So the next higher up tiers of devils, so the greater ones, they can do up to 5,000 gold, uh, up to a rare magic item, and then also a service for a period not exceeding nine days. So if you did cast, you know, a spell to summon a devil that is more powerful, usually the spell has a rather finite period of time. But as I also mentioned a little while ago, that you also do have options to potentially make a deal while it is summoned. So if you did make a deal with a powerful, or at least a more powerful devil, like there are many, many situations where PCs might be in a situation where they need a bit of extra muscle and so that they are afraid of whatever you know foe they're about to fight. So they try to figure out how to get some help And well, if you have the summon, you know, have the spell to summon a devil, then it'd be really easy to just summon the devil. Okay, for the next week, you will be our ally in this assault against whoever. And it could even get worse slash better if you consider the devil itself likely has allies or rivals 
where the devil that you summon, like, let's say you have a party of five PCs, you know, wizard character summons devil and they make a deal for the devil to give out four other devils true names to allow them to be summoned and have bargains made. So this could be an option for the devil to promote its allies or to try to create a bad situation for its rivals to make them look bad should the situation go badly. And so you have all kinds of scheming opportunities and each member of the party could be forced to make an individual deal with each devil summoned to like that just might be the deal that gets proposed by the first one you summon so you could have five devils in the party each with an individual contract with a pc so then the pc could control the devil in combat to make it a little easier on the dm and then you also have of course the trade-off of well what kind of deal gets made is it the party's souls are now forfeit in the event that they die is it you know the pyramid scheme type deal where they have to try to make other people make deals or just something else. Like there's nothing that says that is the only thing that can be the result of a deal. It could very much be a situation of like, oh, you know, at some point in the past, the party found some really powerful magic item and that the deal could very much just be that in the event of, you know, the at the conclusion of the deal, the devil just gets this magic item. It could do that. There's nothing that says that it has to be soul related. It's encouraged because that's by far their strongest preference, but it doesn't have to be. So they're like I always say, things where that are creativity based just are so much potential fun. There are so many things that a DM can bait and for their players, this gives options. So so I've been talking about this as a bad thing for the most part, but let me also just say this could be a good thing for the players. So maybe there is a situation where the it turns out that, you know, the bad guy that the players are trying to fight, they're not ready for and that they need that extra muscle. So it might be worth it to the party to get this, you know, extra party of devils on their side. So just because a situation may have a bad consequence in the future doesn't mean that there aren't situations where a party may actually find that to be the best thing that they might be able to do at the time. So just because it's probably going to go badly does not mean that there aren't situations where it may be in the party's best interest to have something like this in their back pocket. So the idea of, you know, I mentioned the imp familiar. So let me actually go back to that because that is like the easiest access player characters might have access to. It's entirely possible that let's say someone in the party dies, but the party is not at a point where they have the gold to get a resurrection. So it could be that, oh, well, you as the DM might feel bad for the party, but you don't really want to just give them a deus ex machina to let the character get resurrected easily. But... If the warlock of the party survives, and then their imp just says, like, no, I can get you the 500 gold you need to bring back your friend. All you need to do is sign here. Then that creates that immediate stakes of you have a dead PC in the party, and this gives you a way to get that person back. But then you have that contract hanging over the warlock's head. So there, like I keep saying, there's so many ways to use this. And honestly, if like you as a DM allow somehow access to the high tier and archdevil, it even gets better slash worse. 50,000 gold up to a very rare magic item. 
a valuable piece of information that can't be acquired by any other means. A single task that the Archdevil or one of its minions can complete within the next nine days. A supernatural gift manifesting as a charm. So that is very neat because we've mentioned here and there that there are alternate rewards that a DM has access to that is rarely used. Like how you can have advanced training as a reward instead of giving gold or magic items. But I don't know that I've actually mentioned charms in the past, so I'm going to just go on a bit of a tangent for that because it's neat. So there is, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a whole chapter on other rewards, and there's two supernatural types of gifts that are available, such as blessings and charms. So a blessing is the more powerful type that is usually a really, really big deal if a character managed to earn such a thing. And that's something like you just get an ability score improvement like plus two to constitution as well as raising your constitution maximum to 22, which is normally like ridiculously hard to do. There are very, very few ways to raise your maximum ability scores. So the blessings are really powerful. But what's mentioned here, though, is the lower version, a charm. So a charm is something that is... Uh, how do I phrase it? Just somewhat on the weak side, but also temporary. But actually, no, weak is the wrong phrase. It's something that is usually temporary in some form or other. But what's also nice is that in the Avernus book, there are additional charm options than the ones that are listed in the Dungeon Master's Guide. So the Archdevil charms have some incredible things in it. So the top one is the only one I'll read over just because it has some fun implications. While you, oh, sorry, charm of agelessness. While you have this charm, you don't age naturally, and your skin gains the waxy complexion of a doll. Magical aging still affects you, however. This charm vanishes from you when you die. So this creates yet another thing in game to create a form of immortality. But this is something that can only be granted by a deal with an arch devil. So one of the most powerful beings of hell. On the other hand, any form of immortality, even if it is quote unquote just agelessness, is easily something that will tempt mortals. People having some option that is not lichdom, something that lets them keep their normal appearance for the most part, is hugely valuable. So it is so easy to see why the wealthy or the powerful can be tempted into a deal. So if you consider the pyramid scheme angle even, this is horribly dangerous for the world because if you have some powerful figure anywhere in your world and that their deal is just like maybe it's even harder because you are dealing with an archdevil that if they die, then their soul is forfeit. But if they make five deals with the archdevil for others, then they're off the hook. Like that could be a really interesting encounter for the PCs to be against. So how cool would a session be if you are dealing with, you know, the group of PCs meet this person, eventually find this fact out when they you realize like, oh, you know, they're a lot older than they should be, yada, yada. 
in that they're taking some like weirdly desperate actions. So maybe you then find out that this person has made four of their deals, but they know that the PCs are coming for them and that if the PCs manage to kill him before he can make that fifth deal, then he's doomed. That creates so much potential interesting story. So one other important thing to get into is the deals themselves. There are many different types of how the deal itself will physically exist. So what form the infernal contract takes. And it is horrifying, the things that exist here. So there are six things that are listed in the Avenir's book, and most of them are kind of fucked up. So just, I'm not going to go through all of them because I highly suggest just reading this in the book, but I'm just going to pick two that I'm going to go over. So the first one is just the classic scroll, you know, a vellum scroll with the deal written in blood. You sign the deal in blood and then the contract vanishes to a secure location in hell. And that makes sense. And then that also, it also has an interesting thing at the end for the scroll of burning the scroll voids the contract. It's immune to all other damage and harm. So then that would mean that if someone wanted to break such a contract, they would literally have to somehow get a gate to hell, find it, and then burn it. So trying to break such a contract, really fucking hard. But that's kind of the more classic form. So there are five others. And one of them here is horrifying and kind of amazing. The Damned Wretch. A portal opens and a humanoid bound in chains, which is with its eyes and mouth sewn shut, stumbles through it. This individual is likely someone who breached their own infernal contract and is now paying the price. The terms of the deal are carved into the poor wretch's skin. To enter the contract, the devil and the character who made the deal carves their names into the wretch who is then promptly banished. That is fucked up! And that's just one of them. There are more things on this list, and all of them are kind of twisted, but arguably that one's the worst, and so I had to just share that fact. But anyway, so I have been rambling on about this a lot. So to sum up, the biggest point of using devils ought to be their goal to tempt creatures into evil to get their soul to hell. And that could be just through persuasion of trying to get the souls to do evil acts, but more importantly, deals with the devil. To create infernal contracts is an incredibly flexible system that I really, really hope more DMs will take advantage of. Thanks for listening to this episode of Refs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. 
ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.